Open your Bible, please, to the book of Galatians, chapter 5. The book of Galatians, chapter 5. I told you at the beginning of the year, every time we would, uh, each month when we would have one of these memory verses, I would preach on it sometime during the month. Now, we introduced Galatians 5, 19, and 22, the fruit of the Spirit, last week, and we began uh, repeating it in the services. I asked some of the people, I said, I hope folks are not going to get bored with what we're doing here, but we have already memorized three really significant passages of Scripture. And we've got, in January, we had Joshua 1.8, the principle there of all eternal success is related to meditating and being in the Word of God. And in February, our verse was uh, Philippians three thirteen and 14, keeping the right focus in life, forgetting the past and reaching forth into those things which are before, and pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God. Boy, those are great passages, and they all embody a tremendous principle of Christian living. And now we come to Galatians, the month of March. So one verse a month, and we just repeat it in the services, and uh, we're trying to inculcate some serious Christianity at the Baptist temple. And serious Christianity, I don't think we'll be very, ever be bored with God's Word, do you? And so we're trying to memorize it because many people today just don't memorize Scripture anymore. Now, we began the year with two goals. Goal number one, every Christian, a growing Christian, or every member of the church, every member, a growing Christian. That's our primary goal. If we grow personally and individually, then the church will be healthy, won't it? The second goal was every class, a growing class. At the Sunday school class level, where we do four major things that a church does, we study the Bible, we evangelize, or we mobilize to evangelize, we disciple, we fellowship, we minister to people through the Sunday school. It's so important. And so every class, a growing class, Every Christian, a growing Christian. And that's our two little simple church-wide goals this year. And that scripture memory really fits into that because I believe if you're memorizing and laying up God's Word in your heart, it's going to be a definite help to you in your growth throughout the years. The Lord brings those passages of Scripture back to your mind. Now, Galatians 5. And we've already stood and said this, haven't we? Let's do it one more time anyhow, because we stand out of reverence to God's Word when we read it here before the messages, and I want you to follow with me. I'm going to begin, though, back up in verse 19 and give you a little more context. Now, the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, that means gross immorality idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, sedition, heresies, envying, murder, drunkenness, reveling, wild partying, and such like. What a list. 
Now notice that's the works of the flesh, verse 19. The works of the flesh. And uh, he, he goes on and says here, I have told you about these things in the past, and I tell you now again that they which do such things or practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. God's people don't practice that list of characteristics of verses 19 through 21. You might fall into them sometime, but you're not going to live there. You're not, you may fall in the mud, but you don't live in the mud. You get up and you clean off and you go on and you improve. And that's the works of the flesh. Now, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit. See, now that's contrast. Works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. And that's love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. There's no laws governing that conduct. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh verses 19 through 21, with the affections and lust thereof, and we live in the Spirit, verse 25, and since we do, let's walk in the Spirit, let's practice Spirit-filled living. And thank you, and you may be seated. A little standing sermon there to begin, huh? (laughs) I pointed out to you the contrast here. Verse 19 the works of the flesh. You might want to circle that in your Bible. Put a little circle around that. And then put a little circle around the fruit of the Spirit. And draw your little line down through there in between. And that way you'll, you'll, you'll get the idea. These are two contrary things. We're talking about a contrasting lifestyle. The, one of them driven by the flesh. The works of the flesh and the other driven by the Spirit the fruit of the Spirit. Now, it seems like in verse number 22, we read the fruit of the Spirit. And Jim has been breaking these fruits, and that's the only way I know to say it, breaking the fruit down into three clusters of fruit. And so you have three, uh, three each of them, and you have nine of these different qualities or virtues, if you will. But notice in verse 22, it seems like there's a grammatical error here because it says the fruit of the Spirit. It ought to be, it seems like in your mind, the fruits of the Spirit, but it's not. It's singular, the fruit of the Spirit, and then there are nine qualities that follow that. So it seems like one or the other is wrong. It either ought to be the fruits of the Spirit or it ought to be the fruit of the Spirit and it ought to be one thing, but it's not. It is a singular, the fruit of the Spirit, and then nine qualities that follow after, and it's not a grammatical error. And I'll explain it like this. A well-known old Chinese preacher was preaching on this text, and he said, somebody asked him, it says fruit of the Spirit, and then it has nine qualities. He said, well, it's one fruit with nine flavors. One fruit with nine flavors. It's like Wrigley's, uh, you know, chewing gum. You got one brand and lots of flavors of it. And so the Chinese preacher had it right. One fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, nine flavors that we've been repeating. Now, it's fruit. And I like what one preacher said. He said, God prefers fruit and not nuts. Now, you just interpret that however you wish today, but 
God prefers fruit and not nuts. So don't be, uh, don't be a nut for the Lord, okay? But I don't know. You don't want to be a fruit for him either, do you? <laughs> I better get off of this. This is going the wrong direction here for me. <laughs> but I got folks who've woke, awakened who've never been awake before on Sunday morning. So praise the Lord. Okay, the fruit of the Spirit. Let me define for you. What is the fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit is the virtues the virtues that characterize spiritually mature Christians. What does a spiritually mature Christian look like? Well, they look like love, joy, peace, and those nine qualities right there. It's not just that they're a member of a church or profess Christ or have a fish on the back of their car or a slogan on their lapel or something. No. What does a real Christian look like? It's the thoughts and attitudes of life that characterize serious Christians that they have inside them something the world doesn't have. I like to talk about them as virtues. That's an old word. You don't hear it much anymore. It is a great word. I wish we could revive it. Virtue, virtues. And the fruit of the Spirit is the virtues that characterize spiritually mature people. Now, question. Look up here. Let me make sure everybody gets this. How Christ-like are you this morning, Christian? How Christ-like are you? Answer that question, not audibly, but in your heart and in your mind. How much like Christ are you in your character and in your virtues? Well, let me tell you why I ask you the question. This is a checklist here. This is not a goal for you to aspire to and set in your life and try to work harder to achieve it. This, that's not what the fruit of the Spirit is about. It's a checklist where you look into the Word of God, the mirror of the Word of God, as James says, and you say, love. How much love do I truly demonstrate? Joy. How much joy do I have in my life? Honest Old-fashioned, genuine joy. Do I have peace in my heart? It's a checklist. I check them off and find and discover if, in fact, the Spirit of God is working in my life. One other thing I'd tell you about the fruit of the Spirit, an introduction. The fruit of the Spirit is a description of the character of Jesus Christ himself. You might want to note that there in your Bible. If you would have met Jesus Christ and watched him and listened to him talk and shaken his hand when he was on the earth and, and been around him for an ex- extended period of time, what would Jesus have been like? I'll tell you what he would have been like. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. He would have been like that. And so we have a description of the character of the Lord himself. Now, we know, according to Romans chapter 8 and verse 9, if you, are, if you have been born again, if you're a truly saved person, we know that you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. He came in at the moment of your salvation. If any of you have not the Spirit, he's none of his, Romans says. You're, meaning you're not a child of God until you've had the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the agent of regeneration. He's the one who 
transforms us and changes us from sinners into saints by our very nature. Number two, the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 5 that we are to be filled with the Spirit. Filled with the Spirit. The word filled there is not the idea of filling up a bottle of water to the top. It's the idea of being controlled by the Spirit. Like a drunk man is controlled by the alcohol, the Christian is controlled by the Spirit. The Spirit of the, of, of the Holy Spirit. And so we are indwelt by the Spirit. We are instructed to be filled with the Spirit. And thirdly, Galatians 5 and 22 says now we're to bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We are to produce the fruit of a Christian in our lives and in our character. And so my question to you is a very legitimate question. How Christ-like are you today? How much like Jesus are you in your character, in the heart, in the inside part of you that nobody can see? I'm not talking about the externals that everybody can observe. I'm talking about down in your heart and your mind and your soul and your spirit. How much are you like that list of virtues in Galatians 5, 22 and 23? And that's why we're memorizing that passage. If we can lock that in and get that deeply ingrained in our hearts and our minds, if throughout the week as we're going about the normal course of business, if we're remembering, you know what? God wants to work in my life. And what does he want to produce in my life? He wants to produce those nine virtues listed in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Now, there are three clusters. And there's three fruit in each cluster. And I want to take the three and sort of analyze them fairly briefly with you here today. Number one is the first cluster, and I call it the countenance of the Spirit. The countenance of the Spirit. And what do I mean by that? I mean, if we have these three qualities in our life, it'll show on our face. It will be visible to the people around us. Our countenance, of course, is our face, our physical expression. And so the countenance of the Spirit shows up with love, joy, and peace. You can see that. A Christian demonstrates that after living for the Lord for years, I think people look like this. It, it, it becomes a part of their, their physical appearance. Now, turn in your Bible with me quickly to the book of John because these three things were taught. Each of these qualities was taught extensively by the Lord Jesus Christ in the book of John here the night before he died on the cross. And so we're going to go to John and look at three different passages that reflect the, each of these three fruits here in this cluster. And the first is love. And what is love? Let me give you a great definition of love because let's move it away from romantic love and warm feelings and all that. Here's what love is as we see it demonstrated in the life of the Lord. Love, agape love, is the willing sacrificial giving of self for the benefit of others. The willing sacrificial giving of myself for the benefit of other people. Boy, I hope you'll capture that. Put it on paper because that love is so basic. The Chinese preacher said one fruit, it's love, is demonstrated in nine flavors. There's really one fruit of the Spirit, so this is the most important one. 
The fruit of the Spirit is love, and it manifests and demonstrates itself in joy, peace, long-suffering, and all those other qualities that we have there. So what is love? Love is the willing sacrifice, sacrificial giving of myself, not thinking of myself, but giving of myself for the benefit and the help of other people. And in John 15, and here in verse number 13, John 15, 13, you will see the Lord illustrating the principle I've just given to you. He said, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. The greatest love is a sacrificial giving of one's life for other people. Now, we live in this time when we are so me-focused, so selfish. Our culture teaches us, look out for yourself. Take care of me first and self, self, self. And that's the exact opposite of our Christian ethic. The Lord said, the greatest love is not a romantic love. It's not the way we think of human love. It is the sacrificial giving of one's life for the benefit of others. And of course, when he said this, within a few hours from the time he spoke these words, our Lord went to the cross, and God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The love in the Bible is always a giving love. It's not a taking love. It is not looking out for oneself. It is giving away oneself. It's thinking about others and not self all the time. Second Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7, I'll not turn there, but the scripture there says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but he's given us a spirit of love. We live in fearful times. We live in a point in history when every time we look at the news, there's something fearful. There's something threatening out there on the horizon. God has not given to his people a spirit of fear, but he's given to us the spirit of love, the sacrificial giving of self for the benefit of other people. The second fruit named in this cluster is joy. And joy is not, the, joy is not happiness. The word happiness comes from the old English word hap, which means to occur. And so happiness is looking around and everything is working out and it's happening right, so I'm, I'm contented. But joy is the flag that flies from the wall of the castle of the Christian's heart when the king is in residence on the throne, as I've told you through the years. Joy is that, that uh, a quality. It doesn't depend on favorable circumstances. It's a result of a calm, inward confidence that God is on the throne and God is watching out for my best interest and my relationship with him is such that God is in control and so I can turn my life over to him. Joy. Now look right there a couple of verses back in verse John 15 and 11 and Jesus addresses this quality. These things have I spoken to you, he said, that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. You know, the Lord wants his people to be joyful. And uh, Yogi Berra said, you can observe a lot, but just looking. 
And I'm looking around here at this church, and sometimes I wish some of you had a little more joy of the Lord in your life. We're singing about the Lord and how wonderful and the joy of the Lord, and sometimes I never see a smile, break a face, or a sense of, you know, you, the people have that look of joy just about their face. It's on their countenance. It's visible. I, we've got folks here, they look like an advance agent for the funeral home next door. I mean, you read in the Bible where it says that God preserves his saints, and you thought it meant pickled. And you just don't show any joy ever. And you know what? That joy is winsome. That joy has attractive power. Joy is magnetic. When we see people who are joyful, we want to find out what it is that makes them joyful and get in on it, don't we? And the greatest advertisement for the Christian faith is a Christian who has joy in his or her life. And Jesus wants us to be joyful people. Look at that verse, mark it. These words have I spoken to you, that you might be full of joy, he said. It's God's will and his plan that we be joyful. In my home, there's a thermostat on the wall. The thermostat sets and controls the temperature in our home. But it also has, as a part of the thermostat, a thermometer. The thermometer doesn't control anything. It just reveals what's there. Now, in the spiritual realm, joy is my thermostat. It sets and controls the temperature emotionally for me. Then there's the thermometer, and that's my happiness. But don't confuse the two. They're not the same. The happiness just tells me, you know, what the temperature is. But I mean, in the saddest conditions of life, I can have that calm inward peace that God loves me. He is in control that ultimately it's all going to work out for his plan. And I can have joy, old-fashioned Christian joy. And then there's peace, the third of those countenance flavors. Peace is a calmness of spirit, a tranquility. Jesus was called the Prince of Peace. Think about that term. We, we quote that. We don't think about it. The prince, the ruler of peace. And if you and I are going to experience real peace, I can tell you, it is going to have to come from some source other than the world and circumstances around me, isn't it? Because Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. But I'm here to give you peace. Look in John 14 now. In this one passage, this one evening with his disciples, he focused on these three qualities, love and joy and peace. John 14 and 27, peace I leave with you. He's getting ready to die, remember? My peace I get given to you, not like the world gives, give I unto you. And then he said, let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. I have come to give you peace. Do you have that peace today, that tranquility, that calmness of spirit, that in all the turbulence and storms of life, you have peace, the peace that passes all understanding that only the Christian can truly experience in this life. Now, that's the countenance of the spirit, the first cluster here. But let's go back now to the book of Galatians, chapter number Five, and let's look at the next cluster here, and I call this the conduct of the Spirit. The countenance of the Spirit, but now we have the 
conduct of the Spirit. And it's demonstrated by our temperament. It's demonstrated by our temperament. And so the first of those is long-suffering. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Now, long-suffering. Well, you know long-suffering is just an older word for patience. The fruit of the Spirit is having patience. And uh, some of us, like the old lady who prayed, Lord, give me patience and give it to me right now. And that's the way we want everything in the microwave age, isn't it? Give me patience and give it to me right now, Lord. <laughs> I need it. But the Lord tells us that the way he gives us patience is he puts problems on us. And as we endure those problems, we, we find this thing of patience being developed. What is patience? It's the ability to endure injuries inflicted by other people. Let me say that again. Patience is the ability to endure injuries that are inflicted by others upon us and to accept irritating circumstances without complaint. To accept irritating circumstances without complaint. And so in a few minutes, we're going to dismiss this service. And all the tranquility and worship that we've experienced here is going to break loose as we hit that parking lot. And I've heard stories that have been brought back to me about how that somebody pulls in front of somebody and all this wonderful worship experience is forgotten and, ah, you know, just a slight little irritation and we forgot the whole thing. <laughs> uh, some of y'all not laughing at that for some reason. You don't find that very humorous. Well, at any rate, long suffering. The ability to endure injuries inflicted by others and to accept irritating circumstances, like somebody cut me off without complaint. One woman was heard to say about her husband, he's temperamental. And her friend said, what do you mean? She said, well, I mean 90% temper and 10% mental. And uh, how true, how true. We live on the edge sometimes, don't we? But God says, now when I'm working in you through my spirit, I want to give you patience, patience. And when those irritations and problems and inconveniences of life come, and even when people inflict you with an injury of some kind, can you be calm and peaceful? And can you reflect the character of the Holy Spirit that he wants to work? The next one is gentleness. We would say probably today kindness. It means about the same thing, kindness. You know, I've often thought about the Lord Jesus Christ. I picture him sitting that day teaching and the little children coming and sitting on his lap. And I could just, I, I can almost hear the tone of his voice and the look on his face, his body language, his demeanor. I would say Jesus Christ, unquestionably, is the kindest man who ever lived. The kind, I can't imagine him ever being unkind. You say, well, he got that whip and drove those people out of the temple. Yes, he did, but that doesn't mean he was unkind. He was responding in a holy and just way to people who were blaspheming and desecrating his worship. But Jesus was kind. And I've thought myself sometimes when I was not kind, when I was sharp, when I was edgy, 
when I was abrupt, abrupt, I thought, how unchristlike, Bill. Because the one quality to me that maybe would sum up the character of the Lord Jesus Christ morning, and he was firm, but he was kind. He was gentle, approachable, long-suffering, gentleness. That's a work of the Holy Spirit, kindness. You can work and try to discipline yourself to be kind, and you will fail. You can put on more effort and work harder at it. I've got to learn to be kind. You'll fail. You see, that would be a work of the flesh if you could just conjure up the willpower to do it. These are not works that we control. This is the fruit of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit must produce this in me. And I'll try to tell you how at the end of the message. So we have the conduct of the Spirit. How does a person who is under the control of God's Spirit act? They are patient, and they're kind, and they're good. Goodness, general term for moral and spiritual excellence. Moral and spiritual excellence is reflected in their character. Acts 10, 38. It says about Jesus that he was anointed with the Holy Ghost And listen to this phrase, Acts 10, 38. He was anointed with the Holy Ghost, and he went about doing good. He went about doing good. What a a simple and yet profound description of, of his life and character. He was anointed with the Holy Ghost. Jesus of Nazareth was anointed with the Holy Ghost, and he went about doing good. What a noble aspiration for any of us. That people would look at us and say, there's a good man. There's a good woman. That is so simple, it could be taken for granted and overlooked, but it is one of these virtues of conduct here in the fruit of the Spirit. So cluster number one, the countenance that shows on our face, love, joy, peace. You can see that in a person's countenance. The conduct of the Spirit, patience, kindness, goodness. The way we live our lives, our conduct demonstrated by our our temperament. And then thirdly, there's the character, the third cluster, the character of the Christian revealed in our lifestyle. The character of the Christian that is produced by the Spirit's work in our life. And the word is faith. Now, the faith used here is not used in the sense of believing in the Lord for salvation or walking by faith. It has the idea of faithfulness, faithfulness. And so it's related to having integrity. I'm faithful in my commitments and my responsibilities. When I tell somebody something, I'll do it. When, they, when I tell them I'll call them back, I call them back. It is following through. It is faithfulness. It has to do with trustworthiness, integrity, dependability, reliability, honesty, a whole bunch of old-fashioned virtues that, boy, our world has forgotten. We rarely even hear them mentioned today, and yet right there they are, and they're a work of the Holy Spirit in our life. Out in Yellowstone National Park, there's a geyser out there, a 
Underneath that surface, geologically, there's trapped all this water and and uh, geological functions are occurring there and have been forever. And you can set your watch by it, they tell me. Every 65 minutes, almost to the second, every 65 minutes, a water spout, a shaft of boiling water comes up out of that hole in the ground 170 feet high. The ceiling right here over my head is about 40 feet from the floor, 40, 45 feet from the floor. So about four times as high as the ceiling to the floor here, a, a great shaft of water comes up out of there and set your watch by it. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? It's called what? Old Faithful. It's been doing that for hundreds of years, round the clock, 365 days a year. You can count on it. You can depend on it. It's faithful. It's dependable. It's reliable. There's integrity. Go over there and watch. It's time for it to go. And it goes. Old faithful. And what a good illustration of the character of the Christian here. Love, joy, peace. Long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, and faith or faithfulness, if you will. We had this week a sad occurrence here in the church. We have lots of funerals, but we had a funeral yesterday for a very special man, Bill Boucher. And a big funeral, hundreds of people came. Bill joined this church 39 years ago. He served in the early days as a bus captain for probably over 20 years, he and his wife Priscilla, who's back here. Bill was then... He was elected a deacon. He was served as a deacon for thir- over 35 years. And then <clears throat> in the last few years since he retired, he'd been teaching a men's class. And the thing that I emphasized at his funeral was his faithfulness. If he wasn't working or sick or on vacation, boy, I could look back here and Bill was here. He was here. He was old faithful. You could set your watch by him. And I told the people at the funeral, it was an easy funeral to preach in one way, hard emotionally because I loved him. And, but, but from the standpoint of there are no, no stumps to work around when you talk about Bill Boucher. What you saw was what you got for a long time. And the very fact of hundreds and hundreds of people coming was a tribute to the fact that they saw a characteristic about this man. He was one of us. He was not a perfect man. He had his flaws and his sins, as do all of us. But he was a faithful man. He was always moving in the right direction. And you could count on him. The work of God could count on him. He was a deacon for 35 years. He sat in every meeting that we conducted business of anything that was meaningful. He was in on all of it. He never got disillusioned with the failures of people that we had to sometimes deal with. And uh, he was in on all the building programs. Every major decision, he participated. And through it all, he was faithful. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter chapter 4 and verse 1, often I preach on this during stewardship month because it specifically addresses stewards. It is required in a man that he be found, it is required in a steward that he be found faithful, faithful. 
God's requirement is not that you be successful or that you be the, you know, a lot of things that the world values. The one thing God wants from Bill Monroe and he wants from you is that we be found faithful. Matthew 25 is the story of the talents. The Lord gave out all the talents and then there came the day of accountability and the steward came and stood before the master. And what did he say? Well done, good and faithful servant. Faithful servant. Not successful, not wealthy, not brilliant, not all the things this world thinks are so important. Sure, they're good qualities. But the one thing above all others that God values is faithfulness, consistency, integrity, trustworthiness, dependability, reliability in his people. Then the second fruit of that final cluster is meekness. Meekness is strength under control. It's very close to humility. It's power on a leash. I always use the illustration of the Old West and the cowboy captures the wild Mustang and they put the bridle and the saddle on him and he climbs up there and the horse bucks and tries to throw his rider off until, and he can't, and finally he is exhausted, and he holds his head down to the ground, and the cowboy has a term. Do you know what the cowboys refer to the breaking of a new horse? We meeked him. We meeked him. I meeked the horse. Or we say, that's a meek horse. You can let your children ride that horse. He's been meeked. Now, the horse is not weakened. It's power and strength under control. And God says, I want you to be meeked, Christian. I want you to put your character and your strength under my control and let me lead and direct in your life. And then thirdly here, temperance, self-control, self-restraint, or we sometimes say moderation. There's another verse I want you to quickly turn to. It's in 1 Peter. 1 Peter, or pardon me, 2 Peter. 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1. And in chapter 1, there's another list, another checklist, if you will, of virtues and character qualities that Christians ought to have in their life. And in verse 5, it says, beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith. Now, that's the faith of salvation there. Add to that virtue, and to virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, temperance. To knowledge, temperance, self-control, self-restraint. Listen to me, Christians, will you really listen to me and hear me? We live in an age that's teaching us no self-restraint, no discipline. Discipline in the minds of so many today is legalism. You're trying to control me. Well, that's what the Christian life is about, submitting and surrendering our lives to the control of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not about you and me. It's about him. It is about his purpose, his mission. And yes, we are required, if we're going to live a life of virtue, to live a life of self-restraint. It's not anything goes. 
It's not if it feels good, I can do it and it's nobody's business. No, I have been bought with a price. Understand. Self-restraint, self-discipline, if you will. Restraint of my spending, for heaven's sakes. When we are trying to help people who come in here and with thirty or $40,000 charged on a credit card. We violated a basic principle of Scripture. Self-restraint, moderation, temperance in our spending, in our eating. And I'm not going to go too far down that, but just take it for what I'm saying. One of the big problems we have in America, a growing problem, is obesity, for heaven's sakes. What does that? Well, the Bible doesn't talk about that. Yes, it does. Right there. Right there. Self-restraint when I go to lunch today. Dress. Today, with the Christians, we dress just like the world. Anything goes. And I'm not approved, but I'm telling you, there is a temperance issue sometimes here and a modesty issue. What we listen to, because it sticks in there. What we look at, because it sticks in here. It affects me. I tell you, I know you think I'm some legalistic monster when I get on this, but I am not going to go pay 10 or whatever dollars it costs. Now, you won't go for that anymore. I've asked y'all, and you're not going to tell me. But I'm not going to go pay 10 or 12, 15 bucks to hear somebody say GD over and over and over and over. That riles me more than anything I can think of. It just makes my eyes flash as I just, just demonstrated. But it gets on me that we think we can look at anything and hear anything. And it doesn't affect us. And no wonder we have this low state. Be careful what we think. Control our thinking, our thought life. My goodness, any man living in America today has to deal with the issue of lust. Now, we won't say it. It's the elephant in the room. But you can't look at what we have to look at. And not have to deal with issues like that. And so there's got to be self-restraint. There's got to be moderation. There's got to be temperance is the word. Now, I'm through with my little rant. But it was a biblical rant. The Lord smiled and said, go get him, Bill. (laughs) He's pleased when his preachers clear off a place and preach a little while. Amen? Yeah. Just, you don't need a little lecture. I need to wake up some of you anyhow. So here's the application. How can I have the fruit of the Spirit in my life today? How can I have those virtues, those nine flavors of that one great fruit of love in my life? Well, I tell you, I say it to you again. Now, get it. What I'm saying to you is so critically important. Only the Spirit of God can produce the fruit of the Spirit. You don't produce the fruit of the Spirit in a person's life by effort or self-discipline or trying harder to be a good Christian. This is a work that only the Lord can do in you. Now, if you don't hear anything else I've said from the last few minutes, please get that one. The only way to have the fruit of the Spirit is to have the Holy Spirit working in your life. It's not an issue of effort and discipline. Well, what is it an issue of? It's an issue of submission. It is an issue of surrender. It is an issue of obedience.
Here's what it is. And somewhere at some time, you get down on your knees. And I recommend you physically do it too, by the way. But if you don't have to do it physically, but you get on your knees and you look up to God in heaven and say, God, you bought my soul with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He suffered on the cross for me. He's purchased me with his blood. Now, Lord, I give myself to you. Take my mind and my thoughts. Lord, the words that I speak, may they demonstrate love, joy, peace. Lord, take my words, my thoughts. Take my actions as I go through life each day. That I will think about pleasing you and bringing glory to you before I even act. Lord, here I am. I'm yours. Body, soul, spirit, I belong to you. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, what? A living sacrifice. I give you myself, Lord. I surrender myself to you. When you do, and you maintain that spirit, the fruit is going to start appearing in your life. Our heads are bowed and our eyes.